It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Super excited. On the show today, we have the one, the only, Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans' disability benefits and Social Security Disability Benefits. He's a founding partner of Jackson McNichol. He most recently appeared as a guest of Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and Social Security Disability Benefits on how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing disability. Mr. Jackson has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates around the country. He's also been quoted in USA Today, and it's listed in Cambridge Who's Who. Mr. Fran- Mr. Jackson has been honored by the National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award for his contribution as a joint author to the bestselling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's rights to veterans' disability compensation. Mr. Jackson was also inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for its outstanding work in disability law. For more information, please visit VeteransBenefits.com, VeteransBenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks, Bert. It's always a pleasure to be able to chat with you. Absolutely. You know what? And I appreciate that because I, I honestly and sincerely believe that the work that you guys do at VeteransBenefits.com and, and uh, Jackson McNichol is so important to uh, our our veterans, our brave men and women who have given so much. So I want to kind of dive into this and, and just kind of, you know, uh, for those who have never heard us talk before but I, uh, or maybe they're just not aware, I wanted to ask you what are the most common disabilities among our veterans? Well, Bert, the, uh, the very most common is a condition called tinnitus, which is a ringing in the ears. Um, and that uh, is uh, a widespread phenomenon among uh, veterans, so it's the uh, it's the very most common. The uh, the VA um, only grants one rating for that, which is a 10% rating, and it's um, a condition that's closely related to several others. It's uh, it's commonly found in uh, those who have head and neck conditions. Um, problems with uh, uh, PTSD or depression and anxiety, um, folks who have a traumatic brain injury, hearing loss, um, high blood pressure, and even uh, TMJ, the uh, temporomandibular joint disorder, and uh, Meniere's disease can all uh, all be related to tinnitus. So it's, uh, it is the single most common condition that VA pays benefits for, but they've just changed their rating on it. So what they're doing now is they've uh, tried to make it, uh, tried to change the rating criteria to essentially make it secondary to a uh, finding of hearing loss um, and not uh, a freestanding condition anymore. But there's as as with most things, there is uh, some litigation about that, and and we'll we'll see a few years down the road where that all comes out. But um, in the short run, 
it is currently the most common uh, disability in the entire uh, spectrum of physical and emotional disabilities that VA pays benefits for. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, let me ask you this. How can our veterans optimize their chances of receiving the maximum disability benefits that they're entitled to? Well, there are lots of ways, Bert, but uh, tell you what, let's, let's uh, if you don't mind, let's talk about the other most common uh, uh, disabilities and uh, come back to that question. Would that be all right? Oh, sure. No, good idea. Good idea. Thanks. The, uh, the second most common one is uh, hearing loss itself, which, as we just mentioned, is kind of uh, related with, uh, with this, but um, it's, it's very common. Um, the issue with hearing loss in the VA is that you may have a level of hearing loss. It may be connected to your service, but it won't necessarily be at a level that the VA uh, calls compensable, meaning they, they pay benefits for it. Lots of veterans get, really, get rated for hearing loss at a, uh, a relatively low level, which uh, VA agrees that this hearing loss, agrees that there's uh, service connection for that hearing loss, but says it's not bad enough to cause you any impairment in your ability to earn a living, and so they rated it at 0%. And that, um, that of course, means no benefits, but it's, it's sort of a complicated way that they do it. The only way you can get VA benefits for hearing loss is to uh, have an audiogram. Um, you know, typically, they, they do them at the VA, but they'll consider a private one. And that looks at the question of if you have hearing loss, and if so, what it is, and basically the way the uh, the VA looks at it is they look at what's called decibel loss. I, I'm sure you know that there are various frequencies that we hear, low to high. And uh, if there's uh, significant def decibel loss at one of those five hearing ranges from low to high, uh, the VA uh, will consider that. And the audiogram comes in because they use that to measure the level of disability loss, uh, oh, sorry, of decibel loss in your hearing. And essentially the way they do it is a loss of more than 25 uh, decibels in three of the five frequency ranges uh, qualifies as hearing loss. And they also look at whether you can uh, hear other people talking to you like we're talking now. That's called speech discrimination, if you can understand the words that are being said. And they, uh, they basically have the examiner uh, say a whole series of words to you and, and figure out which ones you're able to understand and whether or not there are any that you can't. And so if you score less than 94%, uh, meaning you understood less than 94% of the words said to you, then that... Uh, would be considered a, uh, a hearing loss. So um, they look at hearing loss in both ears separately, and then uh, they look at uh, the question of if there is hearing loss, 
uh, is there a way to show that it's connected to your time and service? And for example, they look at different military service occupations, um, uh, what they call an MOS, and the um, the nature of your MOS may determine whether or not the VA concedes that you had uh, hearing loss. For example, if you served in the artillery and were frequently around um, howitzers or other heavy uh, guns that uh, are obviously quite noisy to fire, um, the VA may concede that you were exposed to significant noise and and then just look at the rating. Um, but um, normally you have to show both that you were exposed to significant noise and that you have a qualifying rating. So that's the uh, the uh, second most common. Hearing loss. Uh, yes, hearing loss is the second most common uh, disability in in the, the VA system. Um, the uh, the third one is PTSD. Although because of the way the VA rates mental health claims. Uh, even claims that were originally submitted as PTSD may actually end up being uh, a different claim. The, it, it gets a little complicated to explain, but essentially the VA, once they discern that you have a mental health condition, they're obligated to go ahead and consider that condition and try to rate it if it qualifies for rating, um, regardless of whether it's PTSD, or it turns out to be a different mental health condition, uh, and it could, you know, could turn out to be anything from what's called an adjustment disorder to depression to um, schizophrenia to bipolar disorder. You know, there are whole whole host of mental issues. But uh, the point I was making simply is that lots of people file a mental health claim for PTSD, and many of those cases turn out to actually be either PTSD and something else or something else entirely. But because the original uh, condition was rated at or was listed as PTSD, it it sort of um, overpresents, I guess is the best way to say it. But in any event, the uh, the critical point is that there are a large number of folks uh, in the VA system who have mental health conditions that are rated as PTSD to the point that, as I mentioned, it's the third most common. So, you know, lots of folks out there with, uh, with mental health issues that uh, either are purely PTSD or are PTSD and uh, uh, in addition to some other uh, potentially uh, service-connected mental health condition. And, you know, it... Um, it, it goes on. We the, uh, the top ten include a number of conditions, as you can appreciate. But um, PTSD, in, in particular, is an interesting one to file for because it is the only mental health condition that the VA requires you to show proof of a stressor condition in in the VA or military medical records um, or other mental health conditions like depression or anxiety or um, various other possible conditions, bipolar disorder, for example, the, the VA only requires proof that you have the condition 
and uh, medical evidence that's related to silent service. But for PTSD, there's this special additional requirement that you show a particular stressor that occurred in the service. And so that becomes a real problem for lots of folks. You can imagine that uh, lots of things occurring in uh, combat settings, for example, were not particularly well documented. And so um, the stressor event itself may not be clearly documented in the medical records and may uh, make it difficult to prove that claim. But um, it's still, uh, as, as I mentioned at least twice, the, uh, the uh, most common mental health condition in all of the, the VA system. And so there are lots of pieces to that, but it, uh, it continues to be a recurring, uh, recurring condition. So well, those are the first two. And, and you know, something I want to, I want to, I guess, throw in there, too, is I think the, what makes this kind of interesting is what stresses you out is going to be different than what stresses me out. So That is true. You and I, right? I mean, so that's got to that's got to be very, um, I don't know, frustrating. I don't know. I, I don't know. But at bottom line is, again, you and I have the exact same experience, more or less. And and but, uh, you know, maybe uh, I I you know I internalize it differently, so I have this PTSD, and you don't. It's just. It's just one of those, you know, PTSD is, is a very, um, I don't know, unique situation. Yep. It's very individualized. That's exactly right. Yes. And so, All right. So it, we have – go ahead. No, uh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Bert. No, no. I was just going to say, uh, did you have something else to add or what was uh, – did you have another uh, disability that we wanted to talk about? Well, the uh, the odd uh, the the fourth one is kind of odd. You, the fourth most most common disability in all of the uh, VA system is scars, and those can be all kinds of scars, whether it's from uh, um, an accident in the machine shop or uh, from uh, a surgery you had while in the service, um, or um, to a traumatic event where uh, you were in combat and that knife shot, whatever. Um, but um, that's that is the fourth most common. And you know, I I, I don't know about you, but I would not have uh, have thought of that as a particularly common disability um, without having seen the statistics. But in fact, it is. I, I that just blows me away. But it, I guess <laughs> I guess it kind of makes sense. And and I just realized, you know. Speaking of a stressor, I mean, you know, so you have this situation where maybe you have this really, for lack of better terms, this this very horrible scar, and not only do you have the scar, but that gives you PTSD. That can happen. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, there, there are so many um, fascinating combinations and permutations to all these that, you know, it, it keeps the work we do very interesting all the time. But uh, that's that's uh, another of the uh, the most common one. The the 
the fifth one, um, uh, I, I think will also surprise you. The, the fifth most common problem is the knees. Uh, limitation of flexion of the knees. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you can appreciate that with paratroopers in particular, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge problem. Um, anytime some poor guy comes in with uh, a history of uh, uh, being a parachutist, you know, we, we start talking about knees and back. Those, sure. are, those, are, the, those are the things that go. So that's a uh, that's the fifth most, fifth most common one. The difficulty with flexion in the knees, and um, of of the veterans who have that, um, it's a it's typically a rating in the uh, in the lower end. Um, the typically the maximum benefit that the VA will give for a knee problem without surgery is uh, about 20%. And obviously, if, if it's both knees, then it's more than that, but twice that, or uh, and they give you a little, little additional um, boost for it being on both sides. But um, it's not by, you know, um, having, having your knees be a problem is not in and of itself going to be... Uh, condition that gets you rated as totally disabled as 100%, but it's, it's, a, uh, it's a very common uh, problem uh, within the military. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, that, uh, especially if you're a, a paratrooper, yeah, that makes total sense. And, and not surprisingly, uh, uh, the one right behind that is back problems. Sure. So yeah, I mean, uh, look, even I think that even as a civilian who's never had any kind of uh, uh, what do you call it, has never served his country, um, I think that both of those two are very common among civilians. If you're having knee problems, you're most likely having a back problem, and vice versa. Because uh, if you're, you know, if your knees are not stable, or if your knees are not aligned, it's it's going to throw off your hips. It's going to throw off your back. So I could definitely see it in the military. Yep, that's uh, that's a recurring uh, recurring issue. The most the most common um, uh, you know piece of that is uh, is lower back, but uh, there are also folks who have uh, problems with the spine at the neck level, at the cervical level. So it's a it's a uh, a very common uh, problem for for veterans and, and as you point out um, the the human body just uh, was never really designed to stand upright and the back is where it, it that shows up so um, back problems are a, a recurrent problem for everybody but because the uh, military includes a cross section of of uh, everyone plus uh, adds the Stress of uh, vigorous training and uh, heavy-duty occupations, lots of back problems. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think that makes total sense. All right, number seven. Number seven is uh, problems with the uh, the sciatic nerve. Um, I'm sure you've heard the term sciatica, but um, 
for anyone who's listening who hasn't uh, delved into this, the, the longest single nerve in the entire human body is the sciatic nerve, which runs from the back down the legs. And not surprisingly, because it's the longest single nerve and runs in some critical places, it's also one that's uh, very commonly a problem. And you get this pain that shoots down from the low back down into the, uh, the thighs or into the calf or sometimes for uh, some unlucky people all the way down into the feet. And that can result from all kinds of problems, uh, whether it's a, uh, a back problem or uh, a leg injury. But that, um, that one is uh, a, a recurrent problem and uh, is number seven on the, on the VA's top ten list. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, uh, and and the, the thing with the sciatic nerve too is that uh, there there are certain things that can really agitate it. Uh, for example, if if you're if you're having to let's say sit in a military transport for ten or twelve or twenty hours, uh, you know, and, and without being able to get up and stretch or whatever, that that can aggravate that that whole that, that nerve uh, becomes a very uncomfortable position. Um, and, and there are other uh, positions in the military that really stress out that nerve. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Bert. There, there are lots of, uh, you know, being in, in a, uh, a tank or uh, uh, various other military vehicles where you, you're not free to uh, get up and move about for extended periods can be very hard on that. I'm, I'm sure you know people that find it difficult to even drive in a in a relatively comfortable passenger automobile for long periods without uh, having sciatica, and it, it's it's all about that being fixed in one condition, as you point out. Yes, sir. All right, number eight. Or no, that was yeah, number eight. Number eight. Um, number eight is is. Kind of an offshoot of what we talked about with the uh, the knees and the back. It's the ankles. Um, oh, sure. Lots and lots of folks come away with uh, with problems with the ankles. Uh, uh, typically, uh, some range of motion, whether it's uh, flexion or uh, extension, uh, whether it's pain with uh, motion, whether it's arthritis, uh, weakness. You know, um, decreased uh, muscle control. But all of all of those things. Can uh, can be problems in the ankles, and uh, as I'm sure you know, the uh, the ankle is one of the the joints that they just haven't been able to find a a good artificial replacement for. They're they're pretty good with hips, they're not bad with knees, they're kind of okay with shoulders, but the ankle just moves so many different ways and bears so much weight that nobody has come up with a good artificial joint. For the uh, for the ankles, I'm sure you've seen folks um, who've lost a limb and had it replaced with a prosthesis, and essentially there's kind of a, a ball joint effect. Or um, for right. folks who who run, for example, there's kind of a a uh, almost a, a sickle-shaped uh, uh, metal piece with some with some spring to it, uh, but uh, Nobody has, has yet been able to engineer a, 
a, a true replacement for the ankle. So um, for those folks who, uh, who suffer from that, unfortunately, there's no uh, cervical correction like there is with hips and knees. And so it's a, it's a, uh, an ongoing problem and one that lots of ex-military folks suffer from. And the last one, Bert, is one I would not have expected. It's migraine headaches. Um, Interesting. And it, VA also rates what are called tension headaches in that same in that same category, uh, sort of a subsection of, of, uh, of migraines as far as they're concerned. But uh, you know, I never would have anticipated that that would be such a widespread issue among veterans. But it is. It is. Uh, as I said, the tenth most common cause, and it's uh, it's one that really, really affects um, a lot of veterans very badly for whatever reasons. Um, both combat veterans and non-combat veterans. Uh, lots of folks that, uh, for whatever reasons, um, post-military develop serious uh, serious headaches, and we've had uh, a number of cases. Uh, where uh, you know the the doctors were not able to uh, really understand the mechanism, but folks started getting these headaches in the service or shortly thereafter, and they just got worse and worse. Um, but no, you know, no uh, no known uh, uh, traumatic brain injury or uh, concussion or anything like that, but but just. Uh, Headaches, uh, bad headaches, worsening headaches, uh, and I, I have no explanation for for how or why, but it's uh, it's certainly uh, a widespread problem uh, among vets. Yeah, I. Uh, and you were right, Bert. Be that was number nine, not number ten. I, I apologize. But no, that's all right. So, so, but you know what? And and one of the things about migraines is that there are certain things that will cause a migraine to to get better or worse. And and uh, you know, a lot of the military buildings are are extremely outdated. I mean, they're using lighting that uh, uh, could add to migraines. Uh, you know, um, some of these military installations are horrible conditions. That's true. Yeah, unfortunately, the military is stuck with a lot of uh, of older installations. Uh, they're not generally in a position to um, either build new or even got out of building and, and redo it. They're mostly stuck with uh, repairing or remodeling buildings that have been around for a long time. Uh, and well, as, as I'm sure you've seen from some of the recent discussion about renaming uh, military installations that uh, were named for Confederate soldiers, you know, it's because those go back to a time before the Civil War. and. We're we're not talking recent construction here, so no. you know, it, it it really is a problem. Right, right. And, and, and what's so funny, uh, as a, just as an aside here, when when uh, you know there was all this, uh, I guess, news or 
uproar about renaming the military installations, I just chuckled because of all the problems that our, vet, our military people have, that's got to be at the absolute bottom of the list. I, I, you know, I've been to several military installations, and let me tell you what the what the military installation is called. They don't care. Uh, you know, they're 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 trying to find housing. They're trying to have clean, healthy drinking water. They're trying to, you know, make ends meet. Uh, uh, with the little money that they're paid, and yeah, I just thought of all the problems that our our people have, uh, our military people have, that's got to be towards the bottom. I, I couldn't agree more, Bert. You know, uh, and and the thing is, those those installations were not named for these folks because they were Confederate soldiers. They were named for those folks because they were good soldiers. Jeb Stuart was a, a great cavalry commander, you know, and Fort Stewart uh, was named for him, not not in recognition of his uh, service in the Confederacy, but in recognition of his skill as a tactician. But it, it right. sort of doesn't matter. The uh, the point is, as you point out, is that that uh, is really uh, not a, uh, a big factor in the day-to-day lives of the folks in the military or uh, veterans who served. But uh, turning to the uh, the last category, um, number the actual number ten, not not my uh, previously misnamed number ten, is uh, uh, arthritis in the spine, um, and that's uh, sort of like uh, our earlier one with uh, the lumbar strain uh, that's uh, up at number five, but. Uh, Lots of lots of folks in the military have uh, back problems that develop into uh, arthritis and uh, can cause lots of uh, uh, lots of problems. You know, we hear a lot about folks with disc problems and that sort of thing in the back, and I think that kind of gets more attention because those kinds of problems usually, not always, but usually are amenable to surgical repair, but uh, arthritis in the in all those uh, vertebral joints in the back, there's almost nothing they can do about it. Um, you know, it's like arthritis in any other joint. The, if it's really bad, you can go in and kind of scrape away the, uh, the buildup and the osteophytes and so on, but that's not guaranteed help. And if it's all up and down the spine, it's probably not practical. So we we don't hear a lot about um, about that problem, but it's a it's a bad one to have, and lots of folks who are veterans uh, end up having it. Sure, and and the the challenge with arthritis in general is that right now, as far as I'm aware, there's there's not a treatment for it. If you have arthritis, you might be able to slow it down, but you're not getting rid of it. At least, not that I'm aware of. No, you know, you're and, not and arthritis is, yeah, you're not getting rid of it. And arthritis, unfortunately, is one of the signs that, uh, you know, one of a very common, what do they call it, degenerative type of issue or disease or whatever the actual. Yep. 
what do you call it? You know, it just happens, right? I mean, That's but right. it can, you can accelerate it. You can certainly accelerate it depending on what you do for a living. That's true, and and uh, you can you can retard it some. I mean, there are um, yeah. anti-inflammatories and um, moderate exercise, and that sort of thing that that will help. And if you if you keep a joint moving, um, even if it's painful, that will that will help. But uh, as you point out, there there is no cure, um, and you know it's uh, it's uh, unfortunately a problem that afflicts a lot of veterans and is not curable. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so back to my other question, um, which is how can veterans optimize their chances for receiving the maximum benefits that they're entitled to? Well, there are actually uh, multiple answers to that, Bert, but let let me kind of hit the high points. I know we're we're uh, getting into our time here. Um, probably the single most important thing is not to give up on these. Um, we we're uh-huh. doing a podcast series now, and, and our our uh, our first commandment is never surrender. Don't don't uh, don't give up on these claims. And and the reason for that is that uh, with a lot of these claims. They're hard for the VA to rate because they can't see the condition. You know, if, if the VA can see the condition, you know, you've, you've uh, lost a couple fingers or you lost some uh, half your foot in an IED explosion, the VA can see that, they can rate it, and you're not going to have a problem with that claim. But with, uh, with some of these other claims, whether you're talking PTSD or uh, you're talking uh, arthritis in the back or anything that, that's not readily observable, even even um, if something like arthritis, where you can you can eventually get somebody to give you an MRI and and there it is. But uh, uh, you know the uh, the problem is that it's very difficult to get those granted right in the beginning. And uh, what happens to so many veterans, and it's just sad, is that they don't understand how the process works, and instead of uh, appealing if they get turned down, you know they they let the claim go or they reapply or whatever, and I I, I just shake my head. So many veterans get bad advice. They, they have somebody that says, oh you you got turned down. It'll take too long to appeal. Just reapply. But if you stop and think about it, if you reapply, you're going back to the same people that just turned you down. And right. so unless unless you have something really dramatic in the way of new evidence, odds are they're going to turn you down again. I mean, it's just the way it works. But, um, sure. you know, it's, uh, I, I just see so many vets that, that get in that cycle. Or they get they apply and their buddy says, oh, no, it take too long to appeal. It's a couple of years, three years. You don't want to wait that long, reapply. And so they go and get turned down again. And um, the other the other part of that, whole process, and nobody at the VA will, will uh, come out and say this anywhere that I know of, but um, what we have found over the years in doing these claims is that the raters at the VA regional office level are held to a fairly tight standard. They, they don't have a lot of discretion. 
Whereas if you appeal and you go up to the Board of Appeals in Washington, um, those folks have a lot more leeway. Those are independent administrative law judges, and, and they, they have a lot more leeway in terms of granting these claims. In fact, I had one decision review officer flat out tell me one time, he said, well, you know, I can't grant that at my level, but you take that up to the board, and I'm sure they'll grant it, and, and they did. You know, they just have a lot more uh, flexibility and authority. Um, and so it's uh, the first part of the answer to your question about how do you maximize is appeal and keep appealing. But the, the, uh, the second part that's probably as important, if not more important, is make sure that you have the medical evidence to support how the current problem relates back to what happened to you in the military service. Uh, easily 90% of the cases that we see are turned down because the VA says you have not proved that there is a medical connection between what happened to you in the service and your current problem, whether it's your back or your PTSD or traumatic brain injury, whatever it is. That's, that's um, almost the, uh, uh, the entirety of the problems. It's not all of that, it, but it's easily 90% of the denials that we see. You haven't proved the medical connection between X that happened in the service and Y um, medical problem now. So um, the, uh, uh, the solution to that, obviously, is you have to get the uh, necessary medical connection. And one of, the, one of the things that I really enjoy about doing this kind of work is we have the resources that we can help folks with this. If, if we have what we think is a valid claim, and the VA has turned it down because there's no proof of a medical relationship. You know, we've worked with experts all around the country. We can go out and find an expert in this area who can explain to the VA, yes, this is related, and here's how, and here's why, and here's all the literature to support it, and, you know, whatever else is, is required. And that's, that's one of the most heartening aspects of what I do from day to day is that we are in a position to uh, to take folks who have these these valid claims that the VA has turned down and put them together with the necessary medical expertise to prove their claim. And it's uh, it's very rewarding to be able to do that. Absolutely, and, and and what an impact that has on that individual and their families. It really is, Bert. You know, we've we've. Uh, We've had people um, who've gotten uh, amounts in the in the six figures in terms of back pay because the VA has just turned them down for years and years, and it's no, you know, it's just not right. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of those folks just don't have the uh, the resources to uh, to get the information to put together the claim the way. Uh, uh, it's required in order to get VA to recognize it, and, and we can help them with that. And it's it's really a very, very rewarding area of practice, I think. Absolutely, it is. Uh, you know what? And, and again, this is one of those things that most civilians have no idea is happening. You know that we believe that that uh, the VA the VA is taking care of their veterans, of our veterans, and that they're getting their benefits. 
the reality is that a large percentage of our veterans have to fight for these benefits. And they don't, and as you mentioned, they, they don't have the resources. They don't know how. This is like speaking a different language. And so all of a sudden you're thrown into this situation where you got to prove, you got to make this connection, as you said, between your disabilities and your time in service. And for some people, you know, that, that can be a little bit of a challenge. And, and, and I think there's also that mentality that you and I have talked about before where a lot of our veterans want to be tough and they want to just kind of handle it on their own. And, and, and that's not optimizing your disability benefits that you rightfully deserve. That's the wrong attitude. The, the right attitude is I deserve these benefits because I put my life online. I got some disabilities and it's the right thing for me to do. It's the honorable thing for me to do is to, is to allow my country the, the ability to keep their word, giving my benefits, not only for me, but for my family. So that's kind of my little soapbox. I couldn't agree more. The other thing that plays in there uh, with some folks is, you know, uh, uh, a lot of these folks were uh, uh, trained in the military. You know, uh, we get the command decision and we go with that regardless. Um, and they get this decision from the government that says you're not entitled. And they say, well, okay, I, I thought I was, but the government says I'm not entitled, so I, I, I'll just go away. And, and right. sadly, that happens with lots of folks who have perfectly valid claims that just haven't been presented in the, in the right fashion. Yeah, and, and, and again, that's why I'm so grateful that you guys are out there. Uh, real quick, I want to give out this uh, website. It's veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com. Everybody, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Send it out to your people who are currently in service. They may know some veterans. Uh, share this with any veteran that you know, uh, because a lot of times they're suffering in silence. And, and, and you know what? If they don't need the help, perfect. They don't need the help. We're okay with that, too. But if they do, by chance, need the help, veteransbenefits.com. Francis Jackson, thank you so much for uh, taking care of our veterans and for stopping by today. Well, thank you. I, I always appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and and get the word out to our listeners about all of these issues. You bet. Good stuff there from veteran lawyer Francis Jackson. Common most, uh, the, yeah, common, most common veteran disabilities and, and what you guys can do about it. So anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for stopping by. Thank you so much for sharing and caring. And please, share this episode. Let's help as many people as we can. This is such an important thing. Um, these people fought for us. They're, caught, they're still, in some cases, still fighting for us. And so let's help out as many people as we can. Let's share this episode with everyone we know. And as always, my friends, remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.